Hey guys, welcome back to High Street Freaks. Uh, this is Ryan today, bringing your intro to you. I am podcasting solo without our buddy Kevin today. Uh, he is off in the wilderness of Canada, which is a story we will tell soon enough. But uh, once again, we are always brought to you by meetatmidfield.com, uh, the internet's best college football website. Um, we are, of course, uh, you know, covering Ohio State, covering Michigan, covering the Big Ten, covering the national college football landscape with myself, Kevin, Patrick Mayhorn, Taylor Fulton. Um, it has been a blast so far. We would love to have you. Uh, you can subscribe. If you're a first-time listener to this podcast, you can go check us out. There's some free content on there as well as the usual subscription stuff. Uh, the message boards are really starting to pick up uh, as we get into the end of the recruiting kind of uh, hot spot and get more into the fall camps coming up here in August. It is a good time to get going. We will have some promotions coming for you all soon too so we'd love to have you and get you started i mean a midfield but uh in the meantime make sure you subscribe and are following high street freaks and um yeah i'll stop advertising to you for a little bit here because i want to get into um my review of ryan day so i know i mentioned i'm a solo a solo podcasting today um the goal of this really is for us to to kind of dive deep into my thoughts on Ryan Day, I know I get pretty hyperbolic, especially when I am <laughs> when I am online. I am prone to tweeting some wild things about him and uh, you know posting about them, and I don't think I'm entirely unjustified. But I, I do think it'd be useful both for myself uh, and for you guys to kind of hear my centered thoughts on this, right? To kind of take a step back away from like the passion of a game week, the frustration of you know getting your ass beat by Michigan two years in a row, and just take kind of a sober look at, at both literally and metaphorically uh, a sober look at uh at really kind of you know what my thoughts are on ryan day and a few different categories so kind of reviewing him one as a position coach two as a recruiter three as a coordinator and in-game coach four as a program builder and ceo and then fifth as an off-field per, you know kind of personality and, and coach um so there's kind of like five categories of judging them under. Going to give grades on each of these. Uh, I want to run through them and basically define, you know, what to expect from Ryan Day. Um, going forward, what we've kind of seen so far, and just kind of where my thoughts are on him in general. And I, I think you guys will kind of follow along with most of this pretty easily, but I'm happy to also take questions on this stuff. So if anyone has any questions, feel free to leave a five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast, and we will answer it uh, on the podcast next week. Um, right, so I want to start with Day. First as a position coach, um, you know, I think this one's a pretty simple one, right? He started out as a quarterback's coach, offensive coordinator for Ohio State in 2017. Um, in that window, he produced JT Barrett's best season as a passer. Uh, and the following three quarterbacks, and of course, Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, and CJ Stroud, have all become first round picks. Um, and resoundingly so, you know, he evaluated and scouted C.J. Stroud and offered him when he was like the, the 192nd ranked player overall in the country before turning him to number two overall pick. Um, you know, he's produced three, like I said, three first round picks at quarterback in the past six seasons at Ohio State. Uh, and for context on how impressed that is, you know, Nick Saban has three in his 16 years at Alabama. Uh, Lincoln Riley has two in eight seasons at USC and Oklahoma. Uh, I want to double check on, on Dabo. I should have pulled this up. I, I think Dabo has three with Taj Boyd included, uh, which you know, did Todd Boyd go first round? That's a great question. I feel like he did. Man, I am just uh, finding things out live in the air, as you guys seen. I am kind of going off the dome for some of this. Um, let's see here. Taj Boyd didn't, in fact, go in the sixth round. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, he's a good player, though. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, you know, Dabo had, um, um, you know, Dabo essentially had, a, 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 you know, I think a pretty good quarterback run as obviously have Lincoln Riley and Nick Saban. Those guys have all had a ton of first rounders, a lot of elite prospects, and Lincoln Riley has at least another one in his hands right now. But basically, it's become the expectation at Ohio State that if you start for Ryan Day, you were a first round pick, you're going to have, you know, 
uh, one of the best seasons in college football every year in uh, you know, since he took over in 2017, he has not had a single quarterback finish outside of the ten, uh, top 10 in football references passer efficiency rating. Um, that is every single year from 2017 through 2022, he has had a top 10 season from a quarterback, which is, I mean, just unbelievable, right? There's been no errors, no gaps. There's no, uh, there, there's no step backs, right? There's no Jalen Milrose in this in this offense. There's no, uh, there's no Spencer Rattlers who are just inconsistent. Like he just has quarterbacks. They start, they succeed, they do the offense, and, and they work well. And that is something they can't take it for granted. I think he is pretty clearly the best quarterback coach in America. Uh, Lincoln Riley, of course, is fantastic as well, and maybe you're splitting hairs between those guys. You know, Riley has the highs and winners and, and a couple number one overall picks, but if you're asking me to take college ball quarterback performance and consistency, um, it's hard for me to pick against Ryan Day, and I, I just kind of respect and appreciate what he does on that front so much. I think he is pretty clearly uh, the best in America in that regard. For my money, um, as a recruiter, which I kind of hit on briefly with the C.J. Stroud scouting evaluation here, I also have an A-plus grade for Ryan Day. And I should mention I had an A-plus for position coach. As a recruiter, I do have him as an A-plus again. Um, look, like I said, he's been here since the 2017 season, uh, which is the 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 now. So it's seventh recruiting class. Um, he has signed eight high school recruits and, and a few transfers in that one, obviously headlined by Justin Fields. Uh, he's also taken... Maybe the one black mark here is recruiting is he has a kind of a habit of taking a bunch of like random veterans he kind of uses just for backup and depth purposes. He has no intention of actually playing and also seems to have no intention of uh, um, uh, basically, of you know, kind of letting them start. They're just kind of here as one-off rentals and sometimes GAs following. Uh, so that includes Gunnar Hoke from Kentucky, you know, Jagger LaRoe and Chris Chuganov, and then just this year, Tristan Jebbia from Oregon State, uh, all kind of fifth, sixth-year guys who maybe had some roots in Ohio or got recruited by Ohio State back when they were in high school and then, you know, had maybe decent careers or not much of one at all and just either way I wanted to come you know be a backup at Ohio State and learn from Ryan Day for their final year so um, not a bad gig at all but but I mean something that he has done in the transfer portal I find a little bizarre I, I think basically if you were to optimize the strategy um, they should be taking two high school quarterbacks a little more frequently right there's nothing wrong with that uh, you want to have four quarterbacks on scholarship in this room at all times. Uh, I understand when they take a veteran guy like a guy like Tristan Chevy I guess I put in a different category than a Jagger LaRoe or a Chris Chuganoff but but look, you should be looking to take quarterbacks who every quarterback in your roster you think should have a chance of playing, right? Like, that's maybe easy to say from my perspective, but there's nothing wrong with signing a three-star kid or a low four-star kid like a Jack Miller, right, that he did that takes a couple years to develop uh, into a starting caliber quarterback, someone who can be in your room and compete in year three, year four. Uh, you're seeing Georgia did that with, of course, Hudson Bennett, and then also, again, right now with Carson Beck. Carson Beck, I think, was rated just outside the top 200 as a recruit, um, came in on a two-quarterback class, and is now going to start and looks pretty damn good during you know the spring while doing it for Georgia. Um, stacking up quarterbacks like that kind of gives you a little more ability to develop them within your program. Uh, they've been pretty scared of doing that two QB thing. I get why. You're obviously, it's very difficult to sign, you know, two top 100 quarterbacks in a class. I don't think anyone expects that. But if you set expectations early and kind of explain why for the depth chart, it should not be as challenging as they've made it seem. Alabama does it. Georgia does it. Oklahoma's done it. Uh, you know, USC's done it. It's, it's happened quite a bit. It's just Ohio State. I guess I did it by accident the, the one year when uh, whenever Quinn Ewers reclassified into Kyle McCord's class and also intentionally with Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud. 
basically they should be doing that every two or three years, in my opinion. But regardless, I'm getting I'm nitpicking here. Overall, as a recruiter, he is fantastic, right? They have signed, like I said, eight high school recruits at that time, uh, plus Justin Fields. And of those nine, um, you have four players were five stars and two others were top 50 recruits. So that's Aaron Nolan, Quinn Ewers, Kyle McCord, Justin Fields, five stars, and uh, Devin Brown and C.J. Stroud with those top 50 recruits. He has never signed a non-blue chip quarterback in seven recruiting classes. Um, none of those guys, none of the, the high school recruits in fields have ever been ranked outside the top 340, I believe. Uh, Jack Miller and... Um, oh, who am I forgetting? Um, hmm, that's embarrassing. Um... <laughs> This is tough. Uh, Jack Miller is one of them, of course. Oh, and and uh, Matthew Baldwin, his first quarterback in 2018 class. Uh, Jack Miller and Matthew Baldwin were both ranked in the, like, the 330s. Um, and uh, yeah, but I mean, besides that, you have not seen another guy outside the top outside the top 350 ever sign with Ohio State. Uh, even their their lowest lows are pretty damn good. Just very consistent recruiters. Um, you know, I think Day is fantastic and at this job and and does it really well. And of course, Corey Dennis contributes here, his quarterback coach, who we'll talk about again in a second. Um, but Brian, by and large, this is Day doing the heavy lifting, right? Quarterbacks come to play for Ryan Day. Um, there's a reason for that. This is, you know, the development we talked about previously as a position coach is why the recruiting works so well. But he's also an engaging guy on the trail. Like, families tend to trust him. He, of course, had um, the involvement with, with Harry Miller's family and kind of the way the trust worked out with, with him and Harry Miller and um, taking care of his mental health side, I think, is a, is a huge testament to kind of the guy he is and um, off the field and, you know, it's also worth noting that, that Day contributes a lot in non-quarterback recruiting, right? As, as you expect to from a head coach, he's very involved across the side of the football. And, um, you know, he was very big in making sure Ohio State landed Paris Johnson Jr. again after Greg Sudrawa freaked that relationship. And, uh, you know, it really kind of didn't have any control with the family there. And, you know, it's something that, that Ryan Day has to be conscious of going forward, I think, is how he involved himself in the recruiting side, because uh, we're going to talk about in a second, you know, his kind of situation as a program CEO and less as kind of a position coach. And I do think there's there's a question of how much time he can possibly split between his current game planning responsibilities and coordination, which he may or may not be giving up, then his position coach duties and also just his own recruiting plus the over-the-board recruiting. Like there's a, it's, it's, it's difficult to spread yourself that thin. I think it's something that we're kind of curious to see, but I mean, the Ohio State recruiting classes are excellent. Um, <clears throat> one note I do want to make is that, and I'm going to touch this in the program building part here, but they don't quite sign enough kids, right? Like, Ohio State is not really doing enough, in my opinion, to sign enough recruits. Uh, they have signed 90 high school recruits and 10 transfers uh, in the last four recruiting classes. That's 2020 to 2023. In that window, of all the major programs, the one you see contending for top 10 seasons, the one you see in that window, only Clemson with 91 players has signed fewer. Um, it is just it's pretty crazy. You're seeing every single other major program, Alabama, Georgia, USC, uh, Florida State, LSU, uh, Texas, Texas A&M, Oregon, all those programs you expect to kind of see at the top of the Korean rankings. All of them are signing more players consistently than, than Ohio State, except for Clemson. Uh, even Notre Dame is bringing in more players. And, and over the course of four years, it works out to about somewhere between 10 and 20 players per team, which is fairly significant, right? 10 or 20 extra bites at the apple is something worth noting. 
interesting. Um, I think that kind of goes more towards his his program management to me than it does necessarily his recruiting ability. I think as a recruiter, you know, the way he kind of targets, executes his guys is, is fantastic. Um, he's very good at kind of, you know, identifying his top man and going out to get that guy. It's more of the challenge coming from, again, this is my opinion here, um, from the way he views recruiting holistically as a program. I do think he needs to... Um, do better at being willing to take a plan B guy faster. They used to, especially with Larry Johnson, uh, Larry Johnson in recent years, but a few others too, like even, you know, in this recruiting class, like Brian Hartline kind of only had a, a dead set number of guys he's going to take. There was a list of about six or seven players interested in, and of those he planned to take three or four. Of course, it's ridiculous as boring as that short. That's, that's a Brian Hartline. But, uh, you know, basically, you know, they now have missed on Elijah Moore, uh, and a couple other guys, and basically it's down to just Jeremiah McClellan and Josiah Trader, Josiah Trader on the board, rather, uh, and they already have two commits. If they don't land one of those two guys, they're just going to miss their number. And I, I think that's, again, a wide receiver recruiting is never a problem here, but that's kind of emblematic of the way Ohio State views recruiting holistically right now. Uh, I do think that they need to be a little more conscious of having plan B guys developed and prepared that they need to hit a number every year, regardless of whether that player is the perfect player, right? You can't just get your plan A guys every time. They'd be willing to go to that plan B guy a little bit faster um, because they're just not signing enough players, right? Like this number has to be at, you know, 115 to 120 guys a year instead of 100, or sorry, every four years rather, uh, uh, better than 100. It's like you need more bites of the apple. You need to process guys faster. There has to be more roster churn because the bottom of the roster at Ohio State is not necessarily contributing very well. We'll get into that more in a second here, program builder. Um, before that, I have him down in my notes here as a coordinator and in-game coach. Uh, I have Ryan as an A on this one, not an A+, plus, um, which may sound ridiculous. I, I do want to reel off his numbers here on scoring offense and, and yards per play. Uh, in 2017, they ranked 6th in scoring, 8th in yards per play. 2018, it was 8th and 12th. 2019, 3rd and 6th. 2020, 11th and 5th. 2021, 1st in both. 2022, 2nd in scoring, 1st in yards per play. Uh, they've also never ranked lower than 4th in FP+, plus, uh, offensive uh, the offensive rating, which is a combination of FEI and SP+. Um, they have been an elite, elite, elite offense every single year he's been here. Um, there's no way around this, right? He's just the best at what he does in terms of coordination. I, I do think there are some some notes, and, and maybe this is just, again, nitpicking. I think that maybe there are times where he gets too cute and overthinks things. Uh, particularly, I want to point out the way he would target Mitch Rossi and, and Kate Stover in key moments of games against Michigan, against uh, against Georgia the past, you know, this past year, and a little bit in 2021 as well. Um, putting the ball in the hands of guys that are your top players too frequently in the moment, I think he kind of overthinks it sometimes. I think he struggles to finish drives. We saw that a lot against 2019 Clemson especially, uh, also against 2020 Bama, 2021 and 2022 Michigan, and a little bit in the in the back half of the 2022 Georgia game. Um, I think also his run game was very was very stale for a while. I need to bring in Justin Fry, who was the uh, OC but not the play caller at um UCLA and is now the offensive line coach and run game coordinator for Ohio State. Um, basically, to bring in Justin Fry to diversify his run game because it was too predictable and boring, right? It was too obvious what he was doing. Uh, and, and those kind of concepts need to be refresh pretty frequently to be more like holistic with the team i mean basically his, his predictability numbers when he was running out of pistol for a while this is what publicized the time this is 2021 which is so so obvious even in 2022 as well as inclusion of running back personnel he basically did not throw the football to the running back at all uh, those guys were not used as passing targets i think you know there was something like 20 or 25 combined catches between all the running backs last season um just very few you know targets very few diversification of positions um they need to get better at that that is obviously a thing for 
room for improvement, uh, as, well, as well as diversity in personnel groupings. They are very reliant on 12 personnel sets, which um, is fine in a vacuum, and a lot of NFL teams are as well, but the difference is that Ohio State's tight ends are, I think, inarguably its weakest position group on the football team, uh, and you know certainly on the offense. Um, with the talent they've amassed and the, the difficulty they have in getting correct snaps for all the players at wide receiver and running back, uh, it's kind of bizarre to me to see the continued reliance in 12 personnel. Again, these things are all nitpicks. There's just room for improvement. I mean, Day's offense is, is elite, right? It's it's scoring in the top, basically top three every single season. Uh, it is producing drive efficiency. It's finishing drive. It's like, this offense is great. I think it just needs to get out of its own way sometimes and stop trying to be the smartest guy in the room in every game they've ever played. Um, if they do that, this is the best offense in the country year in, year out. I certainly prefer to Lincoln Riley's Mickey Mouse offense. Um, I think it's the better version of that kind of concept. Uh, and Day is developing, you know, something a little smarter. It just needs to be a little less clever sometimes, uh, to put it simply. But broadly, uh, broadly, you know, Day as a coordinator and in-game coach are fantastic. Um, you know, I do know how to, I really don't know how to include some of the challenges he's had here. Um, some of the challenges he's had here really around basically his his in-game kind of game management, right? I think the way his teams have essentially collapsed in a lot of games, not, not a lot of games, but they weren't able to rise to the challenge and respond, you know, against 2020 Bambo. When they got punched in the mouth, the team just kind of quit before halftime. Uh, you know, against 2021 Oregon, they got alphas of gold and just didn't, you know, basically had a quarterback pouting as a, as a freshman and didn't really respond very well. Uh, same thing against 2021 Michigan. You know, they went out uh, on drive one, tried to play man ball and a kind of really bizarre uh, choice on offense and tried to run the ball down Michigan's throat, didn't succeed, and then just never really got back in the game. Um, they weren't able to mentally get back into it. They clearly quit on the field against Michigan at home in 2022. Um, against Georgia, they collapsed with a two-touchdown lead uh, in the fourth quarter. Um, just the way they've collapsed in some of these games against major opponents, you know, and his record against against top five teams, I believe that was one and five um, through, his, through his four seasons here. There's just a certain point where you have to question his mental acuity and mental ability to kind of hang in these big games. Um, it's something that's very frustrating. It's something to see when Ohio State goes up against other elite talent. You kind of know they're going to be the softer team or, like, the less mentally prepared team. It feels like it happens constantly for them, right? Like, they can jump all over a team like Clemson in, 20, in 2021, or sorry, 2020, rather, uh, or maybe, you know, Michigan State in 2021. Uh, but if they're not out there to bully you and front run you, uh, or just, you know, essentially are against another idiot coaching, like James Franklin at Penn State, um, you have to feel like they're going to collapse, right? You don't have that kind of trust that they can figure this out, they can respond, they can do the things they need to do to get there. It's very frustrating to kind of see them do this time and time again. All right, with that, we're going to take a super brief pause to go over meet at midfield.com uh, again, remind you to subscribe, uh, but more importantly, at home field apparel. Uh, well, we are going through these grades on Ryan Day. I don't want to get lost in the sight of all this, of how fantastic home field apparel our sponsor is. Uh, they're doing some amazing content this week. They have been dropping some Indiana and Big Ten gear. They have Oregon gear coming. Um, they have just done, I believe, some, some other gear around the Big Ten. Uh, uh, really just fantastic stuff all around. The Vols jacket they dropped for Tennessee a few weeks ago was insane. Um, it is just the best. Best, you know, maker of vintage collegiate apparel in the country. Best maker of collegiate apparel in the country, period. Uh, sorry to Phil Knight. Um, but what they guys, what those guys do is absolutely fantastic. We are really proud to have them as sponsors. Uh, and you can also get... 15% of your first order with uh, with Home Field Apparel. If you use the code Meet at Midfield, uh, again, that is your first order, 15% off. Use the code Meet at Midfield uh, and get some Home Field Apparel for yourself. Get that on you, and you'll uh, 
be looking good, feeling good, and, and you know, coaching better than Ryan Day. Uh, so we'll take that. And uh, with that, we are going to get back into the grades. So once again, uh, we had Ryan Day down as an A-plus recruiter, A-plus position coach, and A for in -game, uh, coordinator and in-game coach. Uh, we have two more spots to go, which are program and CEO manager, uh, and also his work at off the field. The off the field one, I'm just super quick here because it's an A-plus, right? Ryan Day has been entirely scandal-free. Um, you had like the Brian Hartline crash, this program, and I guess also the Jocelyn Wint, I mean, Reap thing, which those guys were immediately suspended and, and kicked off the team uh, those, the, for the sexual assault accusations. Um, by and large, Ryan Day's program kept its nose clean, right? There's very little crime off the field. There's very little kind of circumstances that would lead you to be embarrassed. Um, you know, his his own family is in a good spot. He does great with the mental health side of things, the Harry Miller. Like, you know, you, you have the Brian Hartline DUI, but that's kind of a small thing. Uh, basically, you know, Ryan Day's work as an off-the-field coach is the best it's ever been at Ohio State. I think he's maybe the, the cleanest in the country in this regard. You just don't hear anything. There's nothing that you can criticize against him that he doesn't respond to immediately. I do think that credit is due there and how good he is that side of it. He's also very good at booster management and stuff like that. Ohio State's NIL foundations are in a very good place right now um, after kind of a slow start. But, I mean, broadly, you know, the stuff you see off the field, Ryan Day is simply excellent, right? There's no way around that. He is, uh, I, I think it's it's very obvious. He's very, very good at that. That brings us to, so basically so far I have an A+, plus, A+, plus, A, and A+, plus grade on him for those four categories. Uh, the final one we have is Program Builder and CEO, which is kind of where the rubber meets the road, as you may guess on my criticisms of him, because it would be fairly insane to give a guy A and A+, plus all these categories, and um, call for his head maybe you know 20 times a season uh, but nonetheless uh, we will get into it here uh, with basically his work um, his work as a program builder and CEO I think it's where the challenge comes into play right um, all the stuff I've talked about previously is fantastic as a baseline but I think where like the thing is when you have a job like Ohio State or a job like again Bama or Georgia or Texas or these other places you expect to have all of those categories in that spot right you expect to have elite coordination you expect to have elite recruiting you expect to have elite position development you expect to have you know someone who can you know do this stuff off the field that's how you get those jobs right unless you're kind of handing them from every buyer like where Ryan Day were was you have to display those abilities at other places to get to where you're at the problem we've run into with Ryan Day is that because this is his first head coaching job in college football, he seems unprepared for what it takes as a program builder and CEO to do these things, right? Like Ryan Day, I think just leaves so much meat on the bone when it comes to building his staff, when it comes to writing his program around him, and some of just the macro decision-making, right? So... I mentioned the piece of the recruiting side of this where only Clemson has signed, you know, fewer players among major programs uh, in the 2020-2023 recruiting cycles those four years. Um, just basically also a note here is the NCAA during that window suspended any kind of the, the class signing limits. So a lot of programs are intelligently taking advantage of this and signing 30, 32-man classes the way like Georgia has, the way Bama and Texas A&M did, like taking these huge recruiting classes full of blue-chip players because, one, it was the Wild West in terms of NIL. You kind of do whatever you wanted to with few consequences. Uh, and also because there was no limit. How many players you could bring in your door? There's, there's no, there, That waiver was gone. So... 
that idea of having the chance to kind of get as much talent as you could in this like gold rush and for high State to just kind of opt out of doing so and leave them well behind uh, the other the other kind of programs this window is pretty frustrating and you also see some other kind of like lack of just intelligent thinking and looking at what other programs are doing smart and you know cheating off the test so to speak right like the way like you know Nick Saban of course is famously excellent at this he will look at what other programs have done uh, adopt it for himself and, and tell you why it's bad for college football but still do it the best you can possibly do it because he wants to win uh, Ryan to give the other hand you know kind of tries to be the smartest guy in the room at every decision he makes uh, the Parker Fleming one is what I've been very 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 vocal about uh, but essentially hiring Parker Fleming who is an unqualified nobody whose previous roles were you know a, a failed OC at Texas State he was like uh, working at Capital which is a D2 program in Columbus for a while and then came in as a QC and GA for Ohio State just has been terrible special teams coach too now he was hired in 2021 two terrible seasons Ohio State was not very good they were disorganized constantly they made super simple procedural mistakes and gave him a gave him an extension uh, after the season which is just mind-boggling in its own right it's mind-boggling to hire this guy to hire a full-time special teams coach as one of your 10 assistants it's mind-boggling to hire someone who has no experience whatsoever to do it who was never a special teams coach prior to this who had shown no acumen for coaching special teams and then it's even more insane after this guy costs you you know at least one game with how horrible the kicking unit was set up for for you know uh, quite a few things in georgia as well as other mistakes of the season and you know botched er you know just errors on errors to, to not only have all that and then bring him back but give him an extension for all of that is fucking insane. And then it's also worth noting here just on the coaching alignment front, Ohio State, you know, every program in college football has 10 assistants on the field uh, as well as one head coach, which means 11 on-field coaches. It's worth noting that Ohio State is the only one of those programs that uses a 6-4-1 split, meaning six of their four coaches, are, or six of their 11 coaches, sorry, are on one side of the football, in this case, offense. Uh, they have Ryan Day, of course, Brian Hartline, Justin Fry, Tony Elford, Keenan Bailey, um, and Corey Dennis. <coughs> Excuse me. Then on defense, they have solely Jim Knowles, Larry Johnson, Perry Eliano, and Tim Walton. And on special teams, they have just Parker Fleming, his title's only special teams coach. That is the only program that has anyone to make a top 10 finish in the playoff era that has used a 6-4-1 split. The only one. Why? What is the thought behind intentionally hamstring your defense, especially when you see how poor the defense has been, averaging, you know, allowing over 40 points per game uh, again against top five opponents? Why continue to hamstring yourself the lack of defensive adjustments in the game, the lack of kind of defensive brain trust, lack of defensive recruiting as you miss your number frequently in the defensive front? All these things are just completely mind-boggling and make no sense to me from a program running perspective. They have a clear problem on defense both in talent acquisition, talent development, and talent deployment, and they refuse to fix it while employing an absolute fucking bozo on special teams that adds nothing to the team instead. They're just willingly hamstringing themselves for no reason. I can't understand why. It's just something that's so inexplicable to me. In addition to all of that, I think it's fair to point out that, like, Ryan Day's other, you know, program kind of uh, hires just as coaching staff has not really been excellent right like you can review his hires here since he got the job and, and before the 2019 season uh, he brought up Mike Yursich, Jeff Halfley Greg Madison and Al Washington if you were to sign pass fail grades I'd say Yursich and Washington were failures I think Halfley is a you know, Halfley and Madison are moderate successes, right? Halfley, of course, left for one season and kind of really fucked the recruiting class for Ohio State, which led to problems years on the road. But he did according to fantastic defense 2019. In 2020, they brought in Kerry Combs and Corey Dennis. Corey Dennis kind of impossible to grade for me, but seems to be doing well by all accounts a good recruiter. Um, 
However, on the the coordination side, Kerry Combs is obviously an abject failure. Likewise, there's 20 higher in 2021 at Parker Fleming. We just talked about that. It's been an abject failure. 2022, they brought on Jim Knowles, Justin Fry, Tim Walton, and Perry Eliano. Uh, I am relatively bullish in this group. I, I think Knowles... It's a bit of a confusing hire for what Ohio State was doing, what they have, which I'll talk about one moment. But I think he has potential here and can improve this group still. Uh, I think Justin Fry was a, was a great win and someone who's a big improvement over Greg Sudrawa. Of course, how long it took him to get rid of Greg Sudrawa is insane. Um, that There's no need for it to take as long as it did. He should have been gone. Ryan Day's first year was pretty obvious. After three years of the program, Greg Sudrawa was not a good fit, but he was retained again and again and again by both Urban Meyer and Ryan Day. It was embarrassing to do so. Um, Tim Walton is a guy who is historically not been a very good position coach in the NFL. He's pretty uh, average to poor. I believe he's been had one season after like 11 years defensive backs coach and, and uh, passing DVOA allowed um, in the NFL, which is uh, concerning. Um, however, he I will say his recruiting classes the last couple of years have been elite. He's landed Bryce West uh, and uh, Miles Lockhart so far this year. He's about to bring in Aaron Scott as well. And at last year signed two top 100 guys and uh, Kelvin Simpson Hunt and Jermaine Matthews. I think they kind of freaked out with the John Johnson a little bit, but nonetheless, Tim Walton seems to be a very good hire. Perry Aliano, likewise, was one of the best you know, position coaches in development in, um, in the country uh, during his time in Cincinnati and elsewhere. Developed Sauce Gardner, arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. Coaching safety is here at Ohio State. Um, I don't think it really makes sense to move out of position. I don't know. And I, I think the safeties obviously collapsed late last season. But missing on Caleb Downs for Tim Walton was also concerning. But... Look, if Eliano lands KJ Bolton here and kind of gets the right, right safeties on the field this season, I think all is forgiven. It's a home run hire. I like his background. Um, I do really like Perry Eliano as, as a concept. That having been said, just in regards of, of the defensive backs coaching here, you know, Ohio State is now in a position where they can't really afford to fire Walton or Perry Eliano because they don't have any room for continued lack of continuity, right? Like, basically... Uh, these guys just have had so much turnover in the staff between Halfley and Combs and Matt Barnes and Alex Grinch and all the other guys in recent years and Tabor Johnson. Like, just the parade of coaches since 2018 that's come through the defensive back room means that Ohio State can't really afford to to, to move on from Tim Walton or Periano. They need some stability here to keep them around. But also that, that brings the question of why did Ryan Day mishandle the, the Kerry Combs departure so poorly? Like, when he had Kerry Combs, who's a, a longtime Ohio State coach, a long-term coach in the state of Ohio, you know, a Buckeye through and through, and, and someone who obviously was a failure as a coordinator, you know, anyone can say that, but like, that guy is a guy who everyone around the program has seemingly liked and, you know, spoken well of and speaks as like a man of high character, and Ryan Day went out of his way to throw him under the bus. In a way, he's never done to any other position coach or coordinator ever in his time in Ohio State, never saw Urban Meyer really do, um, just openly throwing Combs out of the bus in front of the media and really burning that bridge kind of led to when Ryan Day offered Kerry Combs to stay on in a lesser role, you know, even like a co-DC role to save face or position coach role, uh, Combs justifiably said, fuck off. I went to Cincinnati instead in, in a similar role because why would you? Why would you take that deal uh, after Ryan Day kind of publicly embarrassed you? And what was the reasoning for Ryan Day? I mean, just beyond saving his own face, like when he when he demoted Combs during the 2021 season replacing with Matt Barnes, who also sucked, by the way, and can't claw his way out of Memphis where he's been terrible coordinator like what was the benefit of doing that why treat a guy that way especially when he's an elite quarterbacks coach for years an elite recruiter who would have had you know i think the secondary room completely fixed on talent after a couple seasons why why do that like what, what was the benefit to ryan day other than pure pettiness and spite uh, likewise, what is the reason for bringing a guy like Jim Knowles to work with Larry Johnson, and why this complete misalignment of staff, right? Jim Knowles is running a 3-3-5 mid front as his base with a stand-up jack. Uh, Larry Johnson has been a public four-down lineman guy forever. Uh, those guys have a clear misalignment in philosophy and principles. 
why make them keep working together? What is the value of doing that? I don't understand what the what the thought process is. Um, you have them publicly feuding about Larry Johnson, saying basically his guys won't play Jack, meaning Jack Sawyer will not play uh, the stand-up Jack role when it's the only defensive end. So now you only have a few kind of misaligned linebackers there, which means Jim Knowles can't run his base defense, which is like, what is the value of bringing a guy who has those concepts if you're not going to align him with your most important position coach? And why he position coach is also kind of you know starting to falter in recruiting pretty frequently here uh, if he can't align with your defensive coordinator like you have to pick between these guys you can't just have them fighting over control of your defense it, it leads to chaos um which we'll probably see again this season and then also the Mick Marotti thing which I've talked about ad nauseum you guys know about but like Mick Marotti is just a clearly failing strength coach whose systems are outdated he's arrogant he refuses to engage with some of the best strength coaches in the country who you know live minutes away from him in Columbus Ohio at the West Side Gym you also have a lot of other guys and uh, you know you have Dave Tate in Columbus Ohio you have Larry Pacifico in Dayton some of the best strength coaches in the history of, of strength sports are around here and, and basically Mick refuses to consult or work with any of them it makes no sense whatsoever why is a guy who has continuous problems, injuries of his players, and um, basically continued failure of their of soft tissue injuries of all these things? Why is he still allowed to coach the strength conditioning program when he hasn't developed or you know improved his methods in years? He's so outdated. Like you guys know all this stuff from the ramp, but like. All these things I'm just saying here, the hiring piece of coaches, like the, the alignment between coaches, the, the treatment of coaches off the field and, and some of the stuff, and the way you kind of build a staff, the way you hire people to fill it out, the way you kind of retain or don't retain them, um, you know, the way you make decisions on, on kind of program management and scholarship numbers and who you cut and who you sign. All these things are critical, critical pieces of being a, a program manager and CEO, which kind of leads critically to your, your program success. And Ryan Day just fails at all of them oh, time over time. Like, it's just not something he's good at. He shows no signs of improvement either. It's wildly frustrating. I just think this is such a thing that holds him back. When you compare it to a guy like, you know, Kirby Smart's improvements over the years or Nick Saban's improvements over the years, where are Ryan Day's improvements? Like, where is he learning from this? Like, giving Park, Parker Fleming a contract extension this past offseason – Tend to do the same thing. To me, it's such a death knell of this. Like, not making any choice between Larry Johnson and Jim Knowles, they continue to fight publicly. Like, these are things that just, to me, are death knells for the, for, like, the program. Like, he just doesn't, he's not learning from his mistakes. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's going to keep writing it back and hope he eventually breaks through. And you know what? Maybe he will. Maybe, like, a bad process will result in titles like it did for Dabo Swinney just by having generational quarterback and receiver play. But it shows that Ryan A doesn't really know what it takes to be great. He may stumble into a title by accident, but this guy does not have the football mind it takes to actually build a great program. Have a repeatable process. He's just faking it out there. He's just a position coach and coordinator who elevate to head coaching job, but just kind of trying to learn it as he goes. He is the fucking imposter syndrome head coach. Anyway, I gave him a C minus. <laughs> uh, overall, that's why I'm frustrated. That's my thoughts. I think you guys know my thoughts on this. I just want to organize them in one place. I probably forgot some other stuff I ranted about in the past, but these are my thoughts. Um, let me know what you guys think, and, and feel free to you know share them in the comments or, or post on the board about it. We will talk to you all soon at Meet at Midfield. Thank you guys again, and uh, go Bucks. Michigan sucks, and help is on the way.